Welcome to the Energy Nerd Show, powered by Synapse Energy Economics and Climable.org. This time on the Energy Nerd Show. I was thinking about this, the idea that if you're not careful, models can really be twisted to say whatever you want them to say. And when you think about what Duke Energy's structural incentives might be to continue to have load that's relatively high, so not that much energy efficiency. And then second, Duke Energy might structurally not want to see a lot of new transmission get built because they would want to maintain as much generation capacity in North and South Carolina that they can own in a rate base as possible. Energy Nerd Show. Hey, Jeannie, who's our guest today? This morning, we have Tyler Fitch from Synapse. Good morning, Tyler. Morning. Morning, y'all. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Happy to be on the show. How are things in the DC Synapse office? They're good. Yeah. Right now, I'm the only employee, but I think we're, you know, we're always expanding. So I'm excited to get more. But um, yeah, it's feeling good this morning. Cool. So what are we talking about today? We are talking about the North Carolina carbon plan proceeding, which I just flew back from on Tuesday. So it's very fresh in my mind. What's North Carolina trying to do? Yeah, it's really interesting. So North Carolina passed this law in 2021 called HB 951, which more or less committed the utilities commission there and the state to planning for a zero carbon electricity system, which is a huge deal because even in 2020, Duke Energy, which is the biggest utility there, was planning for something like 12 gigawatts of new gas. So planning for zero carbon is much different than where we are now. And part of HB 951 included this uh, provision for the commission planning for the zero carbon energy system in something like an integrated resources plan. So from 2022 to 2050, how do we get to zero carbon? And essentially how that played out was the commission invited parties like Duke to give their own plans and then the commission would sort of evaluate those and decide what it was going to do. So Duke filed their plan in June and we took a look at it and uh, we worked with our clients, which in this case were the Southern Environmental Law Center and the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association to come up with a plan that we thought was more in the public interest. So what I just got back from was a hearing where we flushed out each of those plans in front of the commission. And now it's basically in the commission's hand to decide what to do. What was your analysis? Yeah. So in this case, we had a really cool opportunity, which was that both Duke and ourselves were both using Encompass as our kind of capacity expansion and production cost modeling tool. And this is the first time in North Carolina where they've used a tool that's been sort of accessible to interveners. And that made the the potential for transparency really high because we started with their database. So the exact same specification of the system that Duke did We were able to use the exact same requirements for what looks like reliable energy, all that kind of stuff. But we were able to make kind of reasonable revisions to things like cost and availability to better line up with what we thought were sort of real world conditions or projected conditions. It's funny, you know, Duke's analysis showed that the things that Duke is good at, like building gas plants and building things like nuclear, uh, are what we're going to need to get to least cost zero carbon energy. And when the Synapse folks, the team that I led, took a look, we found a much greater role for things like energy efficiency, for things like solar, silica storage, and standalone storage, and things like on and offshore wind and even importing wind from the Midwest. So uh, yeah, I think it's pretty common what we see kind of across the country in terms of what least cost decarbonization looks like, which is we've got these low cost technologies today, and there's ways to really capitalize on the low cost zero carbon energy they give. And because we were able to use Duke's own specifications, Duke's own sort of configuration for their system, we were able to put together, I think, a really compelling story of, you know, what a zero carbon North Carolina could look like 
that really works in ratepayers' best interests. Cool. Wow. Is it really focused on the electric grid or is there some attention to electrification of the other sectors um, and kind of a role? Is, is it zero carbon electricity by a certain date or is North Carolina and the commission and dare I say the company uh, in, interested in um, broader multi-sector uh, decarbonization? Yeah, it's interesting. So this one was just about the electricity sector, uh, didn't include the other sectors of the North Carolina economy. But the fact is that whenever you're doing one, you need to think about the others. And so things that Duke Energy in this case wanted to include in this model were high availability of zero carbon hydrogen supply and the ability to use offsets in the later years of the plan, and also a load curve that didn't really include electrification. So um, especially those first two, you know, using hydrogen and using offsets, in terms of economy-wide decarbonization, what I think most people say is, we need to use those for the hardest to decarbonize sectors like industry. That's where offsets and hydrogen make the most sense. But for electricity, where we have lots of options, we should use the options we have and not resort to those kind of like last ditch efforts. So, Well, especially as you get further into the future, the notion of offsets becomes particularly problematic, right? Because if everybody's zero carbon, like where, you know, where, where are these offsets coming from? Yeah, and we kind of had this really interesting conversation on the stand uh, between what the sort of Duke witnesses were saying and what I was saying. And the Duke witnesses were kind of saying, well, why don't we build a couple gas plants and either the zero carbon hydrogen is going to come and bail us out or offsets are going to bail us out. And the point that the Duke witnesses were making was, well, at least one of those is going to work. So why don't we just go ahead and try this? And uh, I think I looked at the same facts and came to a different conclusion, which was, uh, well, if neither of those works out, then we're going to have a stranded asset on our hands. And ratepayers don't deserve to have their money sort of thrown away like that. Were the commissioners there or was it hearing officers? And okay, how do you feel like they received uh, your points? Yeah, great question. The North Carolina Utilities Commission has kind of a Herculean task ahead of them. HB 951, that bill I talked about, charged them with essentially doing this zero carbon 28 year plan through 2050 and finishing it by uh, December 31st, 2022. That's a statutory deadline. So they need to figure out their plan in the next three months, which that's difficult. And (laughs) in the midst of all that, I think Duke Energy is about to file their first multi-year rate plan rate case that they're going to file in October, so in the next month. And the commission has been hard at work at even defining the parameters of what multi-year rate making is going to look like. And then obviously, utilities commissions have several other industries that they regulate at the same time. So essentially, their plate is full. But they were extremely focused on what all the interveners had to say. They take this responsibility really seriously, and they want to make sure they're doing what's in the best interests of ratepayers. And I think the unfortunate part of this is that in the case where the public servants are really stretched in terms of time and resources, that means that uh, organizations like Duke Energy, which have a lot of time and resources to pour into this kind of thing, can come with a very detailed plan and say, just take this plan. And... Uh, Essentially, the commission's in a space where it would be very difficult for them to kind of um, redevelop out of whole cloth uh, a carbon plan. And instead, they might look at the companies and say, well, it would be easy to take that one. So uh, I think the commission, they are receptive voices, absolutely, and are really thinking hard about 
the role of things like energy efficiency and transmission. But ultimately, there's kind of this structural element that means they don't have uh, they don't have the time and resources to really dig in in the way they want to. So um, it's a I, I really empathize with their position. In, in the best of circumstances, the uh, regulators and the interveners are overwhelmed by the uh, resources of the co- of the utility companies, right? And and and, and so. Uh, in a, in a case where you have a compressed schedule or, um, you know, particularly challenging uh, uh, plan plan to be done. Also, uh, how does the um, Inflation Reduction Act uh, or is, is anyone paying attention to the IRA and, and should they be? And how's that going to how's that going to affect uh, getting a plan done by December? Well, I'll start with your second part of your question, which is the easy thing to answer, which is they should be paying attention to the IRA because it's a transformative set of incentives for investment and the kinds of zero carbon technologies that we contemplate in our plan and that are going to be best for North Carolina ratepayers. Uh, but in this case, the ability to integrate it in a really technically robust way means people need to be working quickly. So obviously, folks have been at work on their respective carbon plans, and we finished up our modeling, I think, in July. So that was before the IRA was passed or had even sort of assumed its final form, which meant it was difficult to include in our modeling, but we could do so sort of qualitatively and say, look, these technologies clearly have even more upside now than they did before. And they need, they deserve to have kind of like a heavier role in what this carbon plan ends up looking like. And the, it's funny, Duke Energy, uh, there's one particular witness that loves to say, it loves to use this phrase that they need to snap a chalk line. Um, which is a reference to how you cut uh, drywall. You, you snap a chalk line and you cut along that line. So he often says at a certain point with modeling, you need to snap a chalk line to say, all right, we're done measuring and we're going to cut now. Um, and they, they, of course, want to snap that chalk line before the IRA. But, you know, the carbon tree advice that I always got was that you can measure twice and cut once. So my thinking is uh, it would be, it's really in, in the benefit of North Carolina ratepayers, and I think of the commission, to take another look and say, you know, based on the IRA being present, like shouldn't solar plus storage and storage technologies, for instance, play a larger role here? Like, shouldn't we see heat pumps kind of rolling out in a new way? I think it's going to be transformative. And the really hard part of this is action plans for IRPs take five years to implement that type of thing. And when we think about the IRA being a 10-year investment, basically, if we don't start implementing now, we're going to start seeing the end of that window. So it's really, I think, important for the, the Utilities Commission to take that into account. But the tricky thing is getting the modeling to catch up. And did I hear you say earlier that the company's plan, that their load shape did not include electrification? And then how did your analysis um, incorporate more? Yeah, that's a great question. There was a limited amount of electrification in the, like, for example, EV load increase was a feature of the load forecast that Duke Energy used. But I think when we've looked at Synapse at economy-wide electrification, like we're talking all light and medium and heavy-duty vehicles and full electrification of all uh, you know buildings and industry, that can look like a doubling of load by 2050. I mean, it can be a really substantial increase. Uh, and we were stuck in a difficult place because if we use something like a doubling of load in our modeling and then compare it against what Duke had, for example, the cost of the electricity system would be very different. And that would create potentially like an apples and oranges comparison for the utilities commission to make. So in this case, what we did was we kind of used that status quo load forecast and said, you know, what's the, what are the sort of resources that are in the best interest of the people to, to use to get there? But I think it's 
definitely going to be a conversation that we need to have soon and we need to have immediately and ongoing to say, how do we not only sort of turn over the fossil capital that's currently, you know, powering our grid, but also like, how do we build another grid on top that, that continues to uh, power, you know, this electrified economy? Uh, so there's a lot of work to do. And for that reason, it's really exciting to be in these rooms and hear the beginning of these conversations. Yeah. yeah you, you mentioned early on uh, something, Tyler, like um, the things Duke is good at, like building gas plants and um, baseload. And, and, and I, guess, I guess I wanted to uh, poke back on that in terms of the history and um, some of the things that Duke is. Uh, I mean, they might consider it in their wheelhouse, but um, I'm not sure. Like, for example, Edwardsport is a um, big example of problems with the kind of baseload uh gasification but you know it's, it's like oh my god that was uh, like we really don't want to replicate anything like that anywhere in the country yeah as far as, far as, I, as, far as i'm concerned totally agreed and i was thinking about this in in preparation for this call kind of the idea that modeling if you're not careful if people aren't careful about their inputs model models can really be twisted to say whatever you want them to say and when you think about for example what duke energy's just their structural incentives might be not impugning anybody's specific intentions or anything like that or saying that anybody's working in any way that's against public interest. What Duke's structural incentives would be would be to continue to have load that's relatively high, so not that much energy efficiency because the more kilowatt hours flow, the less per kilowatt hour the rates have to be and the more you can sort of invest. And then second, uh, Duke Energy might structurally not want to see a lot of new transmission get built because they would want to maintain as much generation capacity in North and South Carolina that they can own in a rate base as possible. And so what we found in their modeling was, of course, they maintained a status quo of not really any transmission. And in fact, the system was modeled as an island, essentially like not able to import any energy from outside of the Carolinas. And they didn't anticipate any sort of continued growth in energy efficiency. So those are two cases where those are simply technologies or options that don't benefit Duke Energy, and they weren't really given consideration in Duke Energy's plans. And the, the Synapse portfolios that we put together, the optimized one was sort of our main one, and regional resources was the alternate, really tried to say, if we included those, even in a limited capacity, look at the savings we could unlock. So I do think those structural incentives are good things to keep in mind, just because um, we have to keep in mind the models can get twisted. Well, in, in terms of the models uh, and you know, twisting models, so th like this, it seems like in this case, one of the really great things is the everybody's running the same model, right? So then, so then it's not a argument about different models. You can actually isolate. You know, here's the handful of key input assumptions where we disagree, and then and then what are the implications of that? And so it's, it seems like a much healthier, productive kind of uh, process and uh, you know conversation about what 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 needs to be done and why. Uh, Bruce, I completely agree with you in theory that shared models could result in lots of shared understanding. And I said that in my testimony several times that there's but, a real pathway for this but, to be a great thing. And. <laughs> but uh, that requires like a process that takes time and takes good faith actors coming together and being transparent about what they're doing, how and why. And partly because of how squeezed the timeline was for everybody, it was really difficult for any of the interveners or the companies to have that conversation. But also, for example, our team got the Duke Energy Encompass database 60 days before sort of we had statutorily to turn in the results of our study. What we found, and I said this in testimony, 
what we found when we sort of booted up the model that we got from Duke is that it didn't work. It actually didn't run because there was an upload and download issue, um, which is which is, can be a completely honest mistake, right? I mean, we're all there's translation that happens when you upload and download something from a site and all that kind of stuff. But there were a couple other sort of stumbling block type things that impeded our ability to really understand and tinker with the guts of this thing. And it made it harder to find that sort of shared foundation of, um, of understanding. But the thing I'm really encouraged by is that the commission really was really keen on this and asked many of the interveners several questions. I was looking for ways to uh, put together a process that would lead to that shared understanding you're talking about. So <laughs> I'll say at the at the end of 2022, the 2023 process, I'm hopeful for 2024. Well, this has been a really great conversation and it's jam-packed with all kind of interesting stuff. Um, yeah. And, uh, Th thanks for being on the yeah. show. It's really nice to good see, to see you. you. We're looking forward to seeing you sometime in the Cambridge office. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, yeah, it was great to talk about this. And um Looking forward to talking more soon. All right. Cheers. Bye, Tyler. Thanks. Bye. All right. Thanks, y'all. Check out the show notes for visuals and links for more info on the topics discussed. You can find the Energy Nerd Show on social media pretty much everywhere at Energy Nerd Show or on our website at energynerdshow.com. Thanks for listening.